Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. We're going to continue our series today entitled Detox. If you've been coming now uh, since we relaunched on a Sunday morning, you know that we've been in this series entitled Detox. Why are we talking about detox? Because I honestly believe that every single person sitting in a chair right now in here, and even those that aren't, that God has an awesome plan and purpose and destiny for your life. He really does. And, uh, you know, as we journey through life, we begin to discover that. We begin to grow in our faith as we walk in obedience. Uh, But also we discover this, that the enemy has a plan for your life as well. And he doesn't want you to, uh, you know, achieve all of the incredible things that God has for you. He doesn't want you to grow in your faith. And so he throws things at you or things arise in your life. And we've noticed that these are hindrances to kind of moving forward. And so we want to detox from those hindrances so that we can be all that Christ wants us to be as a mom, as a dad, as a brother, sister, as a, just, a, you know, a Christ follower, as a business person, whatever it is, we want you to continue to grow in your faith. And so we want to detox from some of these things. Last week, we talked about detoxing from fear. Fear can hold us back from moving forward in what God has for us. And uh, the way we detox from fear we talked about last week is through faith. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six that without faith it's impossible to please God. So therefore we have faith, we please God, which would mean the more faith we have, come on somebody, the more we please God. Well today, I don't really even know what to title today. I, don't, I couldn't even think of a creative title, although they haven't really been that creative anyway. Um, <clears throat> I used to be the kind of preacher that you had to have a really creative title. Uh, matter of fact, there's this uh, scripture that talks about whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And uh, if, if he's not chastening you, the Bible says that you're illegitimate. Um, the, uh, the actual definition of illegitimate, look it up. It's another word that we can't say in church. And, um, and so I thought of this one uh, creative title, and I ran it, back by, by, ran it by my pastor when I was a youth pastor, and it was Stop Running You, Illegitimate Child, but I used the other word. And... Uh, <laughs> the pastor said no, and so I changed the title and preached the message anyway. Come on, somebody. Um, and so I really don't have a creative title, but this is the whole idea of today, um, that I want you to detox from labels and ideas that have been placed on you. Detox from labels and ideas that others have placed on you. Um, maybe it's something somebody spoke over you, or maybe it's something you picked up in church. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But I want us to be able to detox from these things because I believe if we live under somebody else's label, somebody else's idea, that we will never be all that God intends us to be. All right? And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to look at a um, couple different passages. One is going to be in the New Testament, Acts, okay? The book of Acts. And so if you have your Bibles, if you can turn them on and scroll to the book of Acts, um, or if you have an old-fashioned one, you can open it up and, you know, rifle through the pages. Um, but we're going to go to the book of Acts, and we're going to go to Acts chapter 13 in verse 22. Acts chapter 13 in verse 22, okay? Uh, what's happening here is Paul is preaching a message, and he's preaching in Antioch. And as he's preaching this message, he begins to bring back uh, to the account some Old Testament people. And he begins to bring them into his message. And he talks about this person and what was taking place there. And now he comes to a guy named David, all right? David, that's right. When I say David, you're thinking David and Goliath, King David, maybe David and Bathsheba. But that's the David he begins to bring into his message. And this is what he says about him in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, as he begins to recount David. It's just one verse. 
And it, and it says this, it says, after removing him, now who's the him? After removing Saul, the first king, all right, that did evil in the eyes of God, after removing Saul, look at what it says, he, God, raised up David as their king and testified about him. What did he testify about him? Here it is. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man loyal to me who will carry out all my will. Let me read it again. I I found David, the son of Jesse, a man loyal to me, who will carry out all my will. This is what God is saying about David. Some of you might be looking at your Bible and what it says, and this is where we get that thought and that verse, that, that David was a man after God's own heart. Okay? Now that's a pretty cool statement, right? That, that David, a king, man, he could be a man after God's own heart, and we could sit here and think, man, that is awesome. Like, I want to be somebody after God's own heart, and I've said that, and maybe you've said that, and maybe you never have, but this morning as you heard it, you're like, that would be pretty cool to be called somebody, you know, after God's own heart, or as it says in my translation, somebody who will carry out all God's will. That is pretty incredible. And if we just left it at that, we would probably come up with a lot of different ideas of what that person looked like, right? We would probably come up with a lot of uh, ideas and labels and saying, well, if he was a man after God's own heart, that means he must have been really pure. He must have been like, he must have been like cream of the crop. He must have never done anything wrong in his whole entire life, right? If that's all we could read, right? But I want to go back now to uh, a pretty cool story, one that you've maybe heard before. It's the story of David and Goliath. So I want to go back now to 1 Samuel Chapter 17, this is a book in the Old Testament, and uh, we're going to read a portion here about David's life, and we're going to discover what a man after God's own heart looked like, okay? And we're going to see some things in this passage that are probably going to, I believe, change the label and the idea that's on your life, and it's going to help you out. We're going to detox from some things today, 1 Samuel 17, uh, verse 20. And it says this, and it says, So David got up early in the morning, left the flock with someone to keep it, loaded up, and set out as Jesse had instructed. What's taking place? Here's what's taking place. The children of Israel are in this valley, and they are, have all of their armor on. They have their spears, their swords, and they're in battle mode. Why are they in battle mode? Because the Philistines are coming to fight against them because the Philistines want to take them over and take their territory. And Israel's like, no, we don't want you to, okay? If you go back, you read the story, what you're going to see is you're going to see that this big giant guy named Goliath would come out every morning and he would taunt the people of God. He would taunt the children of Israel, the other army. And he would say, hey, just send out one warrior to me and we'll battle it out. And if I win, we get to take your territory, you surrender. If you win, we'll surrender and you can take our territory, okay? And so this is what's happening, okay? Jesse... In this this verse we just read, Jesse is David's father. He's also the father of seven other sons, David being the youngest of eight, okay? All of the other sons are on the battlefield. Jesse, the father, is beginning to get concerned about his family. You know, it's not like they can text message each other, right? All right, there's no periscope. There's no tweets going out. It's like, hey, I want to know what's going on with my family. And so, hey, David, could you go now and could you take these 10 cheeses and this bread and go get word for me? Come on, it's called pizza. Are you with me? All right? The original pizza delivery guy right there, David, right? David, could you go take some pizza to your brothers and come back and let me know what's taking place on the battlefield? And so here we find David now getting up, and he goes to do what his father, Jesse, has told him, okay? 
So he got up. He arrived uh, at the perimeter of the camp as the army was marching out to its battle formation, shouting their battle cry. Israel and the Philistines lined up in battle formation facing each other. David left the supplies in the care of the quartermaster and ran to the battle line. When he arrived, he gave his brother some pizza. Come on, somebody. He asked his brother how they were. While he was speaking with them, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words, which David heard. When all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated from him terrified. They clearly didn't get my message from last week. Are you with me? Previously, an Israelite man had declared, now listen to it, do you see this man who keeps coming out, Goliath? He comes to defy Israel. The king will make the man who kills him very rich and will give him his daughter. The king will also make the household of that man's father exempt from paying taxes in Israel. David spoke to the man who were standing with them and said, what? David's ears pick up and he's like, whoa, hold on. What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes the disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The people told him the offer. What was the offer? You get money, you get a daughter, all taxes forgiven. That is what will be done for the man who kills him. The people told him about the offer and blah, blah, blah. David's oldest brother, Eliab, listened as he spoke to the man and became angry with him. He says, why did you come down here, he asked. What did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? I know your arrogance and your evil heart. You came down to see the battle. What have I done now, protested David as he snagged the pizza out of his brother's hand. It was just a question. And then he turned from those beside him and the others in front of him, and he asked again, hey, what's, what's up with this deal? What happens? The people gave him the same answer as before. Three times David inquires, what's going to be done? What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, so he had had David brought to him. David said to Saul, don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. But Saul replied, you can't go. You're just a pizza delivery boy. Okay. You're just a youth. He's been a warrior since he was young. David answered, Saul, your servant has been uh, tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion and a bear came and carried off the lamb from the flock, I went after it and struck it down and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab its fur and strike it and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like, like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Then David said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion, blah, 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 blah. Okay, you, you get in the picture? All right, you seen this? Okay. Saul said to David, go, may the Lord be with you. Then Saul had his own military clothes put on David. He put on the bronze helmet and David's head and had him uh, put on the armor. And David strapped his sword over the military clothes and tried to walk. But he was not used to them. I can't walk in these, David said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. Instead, he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the water and put them in his pouch, in his shepherd's bag. Then, then, then with this sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. That's a great story. 
Philistine came closer and closer to David with a shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he didn't get any of the pizza. I'm just kidding. Because he was just a youth, healthy and handsome. David said, he said to David, am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Then he cursed David by his gods. Come here, uh, the, Philistine, uh, the Philistine called to David, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and of the sky and, uh, and the wild beasts. And verse 45, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a dagger and a spear and a sword, but I come against you in the name of Yahweh, the host of God of Israel's armies. You have defiled him. Today the Lord will hand you over to me. Today I'll strike you down, cut off your head, and give your corpse to the Philistines' camp, the birds of the sky, and the creatures of the earth. Amen. Arr. And all the world will know that Israel has a God. And this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword nor by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will hand you over to us. And when the Philistines started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle and met the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it at the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Even though David had no sword, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him, and he grabbed the Philistine's sword and pulled it out of its sheath and used it to kill him. And then he cut off his head, and the Philistines saw that their hero was dead. They ran. The men of Israel and Judah rallied, shouting their battle cry, and chased the Philistines to the entrance of the valley of the gates of Ekron. And the Philistines' bodies were strewn all along uh, the Sherem Road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from the pursuit of the Philistines, they they plundered their camp. David took Goliath's head and brought it to Jerusalem and put Goliath's weapons in his own tent. David, a man after God's own heart. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word today. Uh, Lord, I pray in the next few moments that we have together that God, you would just speak to us um, and uh, that we would detox from some labels and some ideas that have play, been placed on us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 I, I feel like I can relate to David in, in, in many ways, one of which is I have three older brothers. Now, I don't have seven older brothers, but I have three older brothers. And, and being the youngest of four presented some challenges from time to time. Uh, you know, because you know, your brothers kind of go before you, and they kind of set the pace of the way life is in the house and how you are to do things and protocol and stuff like that. And if you ever got out of line, it wasn't just mom and dad that would say something to you. You had three older brothers. Are you with me? Because really they were looking out for themselves and they didn't want you to blow it for them, right? And so I still remember every once in a while that, you know, maybe when I was acting up, which rarely happened because the youngest are usually, come on, the best. Are you with me? Are, are there any younger siblings out there? You know the pain of having an older one? Yes, thank you, okay? And, and so every once in a while when I would start to maybe act up a little bit and uh, whatnot, they would always say this thing that in my brother's just a little, I have another brother a little bit older than me, and we'd kind of get at it with each other every once in a while, and he would say, it's time for bed, Benj and Ted, because my older brother's name is Ted, and my name is Benji, and, actually, Benjamin. And, uh, and so, like, if they didn't want to get in trouble, they saw things, but my two older brothers would be like, it's time for bed. They'd say it loud enough for my parents to hear it, and they'd be like, oh, yeah, no, it's time for bed, you know? I hate them for that. Um... But, you know, and I lived under this. Now, living under that, you, you kind of begin to live with some things that get placed on you and, and whatnot. But it's not just that. Growing up in the church all my life, my dad was a pastor. My granddad was a pastor. And so I was like, I was like been in church all my life. And here's what, what I, I began to notice is that depending on how the story was told, you could either walk out of Sunday school or church, for that matter, kind of with your head low uh, or, or with your head up. Because when they begin to talk about all these Bible characters, sometimes they leave some things out. 
You know, because I remember in Sunday school, they would talk about David, a man after God's own heart, right? Or, or, or even worse than that sometimes is, I've heard this, you just need to be more like Jesus. Thank you for putting the weight of the world on my shoulders. <laughs> I can barely be me, and you want me to be like Jesus, right? Like, what do you mean I need to be more like Jesus? It's like, yeah, you just need to be more like Jesus. And I'm like, what? that ain't going to happen. All right? And some of you are like, what? Wait a second. I thought we we're supposed to be more like Jesus. Oh, here's the thing. I've heard that said over and over again. You're to be more like Jesus. You're to be more like Jesus. You're to be more like Jesus. Can I tell you something? You and I will never be like Jesus. When the Bible says we need to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the reason we need to look to Jesus is because when we look to Jesus, we realized how flawed we are and how much we need his grace. Are you with me? I, if, now let, let me tell you something. If you are looking for a church that has a pastor that looks like Jesus, you in the wrong church. All right? Emmanuel Faith is down the road a little ways. Okay? You in the wrong church. Okay? I am going to look like Ben Brinkman. Okay? And Ben Brinkman loves looking at Jesus because when I look at Jesus, there's still hope for me. Come on, somebody. But I remember hearing these stories about David. And like David, a man after God's own heart, and you're sitting in Sunday school like, wow, what did he do, you know? And then I know we've been talking about flannel graphs a lot lately, but that's the way I grew up in Sunday school, right? It was the flannel graph. Some of you don't even know what that is, all right? We should bring one one day and show you. But they put the little picture of David on, and there's David. And, and well, here, ladies and gentlemen, here's what David, and David had a little blue skirt on. Come on, somebody, Right? Like a little, little, or like a white, we had a little skirt on and a little sash on. I'm like, oh, you're losing me, teacher. You want me to be like David? I ain't wearing a skirt. Right? And then, and then they go, and then like, and then David, you know, he watched the sheep and then put like a cute little fluffy lamb around it. And I'm like, wow, that's what I eat for dinner, you know. Like, what, what's happening there? Lamb chops, right? Okay? And then they're like, well, if you, you know, what did David do? David played a harp. And now you just, you completely lost me, Right? I mean, you want me to play a harp, wear a skirt, and walk around with a little, a little woolly lamb around my neck? I, I don't relate. Anybody with me? You need to be more like David if you want to be a man after God's own heart. But this is where, where, where it gets really interesting. And, and one of my mentors was preaching at this conference not too long ago, and he was talking out of this scripture, and all of a sudden it hit me. I'm like, wow, David was jacked up, right? David was jacked up. And I'm here to tell you that God still draws straight lines with crooked sticks all day long. See, here's what happens. Sometimes we try to get the stick to be straight because God, he can't draw straight lines unless the stick is straight. No, it's not about having a straight stick. It's about the stick being in his hands. Are you with me? And by the way, in case you ain't caught it, you the stick, right? David. Man, you, you, here's what you begin to see about David. You begin to see who he really was. Now remember, he is the youngest of eight. He has seven older brothers. Now if you rewind into 1 Samuel chapter 16, here's what you're going to discover. You're going to discover that God was already kind of done with Saul because Saul did wickedness in the eyes of God. And so the Bible says that the presence of God departed from Saul, but he sent the prophet Samuel to go and anoint a new king. And in 1 Samuel 16, what you see is that Samuel shows up to the house of Jesse. He says, hey, bring your sons because the next king is here. And Jesse's like, yeah, he is, right? 
brings his kids and lines up all up and, and Samuel goes down and he's looking to anoint the next king and he starts with the oldest and he keeps going and he keeps going and he gets to the seventh son and he's like, that's still not it. And he looks at Jesse and says, could it be that you have another son? Light bulb goes off. Oh, yes, I do have another son. Okay? Talk about having some daddy issues. Are you with me? Oh, yeah, I have another one, but he's not, he's not ready. He's not worthy. He just, he's a shepherd. Even in this story, he couldn't even go to the battle lines. Here's, here's your call, David. You stay back and you do that. Oh, you want to go? Okay, then you can deliver the pizza. Okay? But just bring me word back. Talk about having daddy issues. He had some daddy issues. Are you with me? And here, not only do we see that he had daddy issues, but he shows up. Now look at the story, ladies and gentlemen, because honestly, it took me 41 years to really capture this. Okay? Now, if they would have taught me this in Sunday school, they would have had me at that very moment. David shows up with the pizza, puts the stuff down, goes to the battle line. He's standing there. Goliath comes out, and he's like, whoa. And then somebody else comes out and says, whoever goes and kills this guy, he's going to get chicks and money. Come on, somebody. Not what it says? You're going to get the daughter of the king? You're going to get money, and you're going to get all your taxes forgiven. And David's like, hold on a second. Tell me more. And so he goes and asks again, and they repeat it again. And now his brother gets mad at him. And you can see what he was living under through that sequence right there. Obviously, his brother had issues with him. And this is what David does. David's like, what are you talking about, man? And he immediately turns three times. He immediately turns and says, hey, can you tell me one more time? What's going to be done? And they're like, you're going to get money? You're going to get a girl? David's like, yeah, I am. <laughs> right? And this is the man that has a heart after God. Saul hears it, and guess what? This guy that had the, just the boldness to say, I'll do that. Okay? This is the guy that God chooses. Are you with me? God chooses that guy. Now, if you would have told me that at 16, I would have sat up in my seat like I can relate now. Chicks and money. Tell me more, teacher. Right? But no, I didn't. I got, you got to wear, wear a little skirt. And you got to have a lamb and play a harp. And these ideas get placed on us. And listen to me. I think there's so many times that we can walk out of church looking at somebody else, looking at where they're at, or even hearing a message at times Walking out thinking, I can never live up to that. I can never live up to that. And so because we're living under some, some label or some idea that has been placed on us, we walk out thinking, well, I could, I could never lead worship on stage. I, I could probably never teach in a kid's classroom. I, I don't think, you know, because, no, this is who I am. This is what I do because I, I could never be a man after God's own heart. Are you with me? And so what I want to do, I just want to share with you some things real quickly that I believe that we can grasp from the life of David, that I don't know all of it, but, but I see some things here, and, and I want to share them with you because I believe if we can grasp these things, we can detox from some of those labels and those ideas so that you can be, come on, the man and the woman that God wants you to be. Amen? Amen. Amen. The first one I see is this, and number one, how we detox from these labels and ideas is be honest with who you are and stop apologizing for it. Be honest with who you are. And stop apologizing for it. David, he was pretty honest, right? 
Three times he, he asks, what's going to be done? Hey, that's enough motivation for me. Right? And he goes. Gets chosen. He goes. Listen to this verse. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15.10. It says, but by God's grace I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not ineffective. I am who I am. It's God's grace. I, I, I am who I am. He created me this way. He fashioned me this way. He molded me this way. Everything about David's life was passionate, all right? A bear tries to take him, bam, right? A lion tries to take him, bam. What? Chicks, I'm, I'm, I'm in. He was passionate about everything, okay? And it was that passion and that zeal that when it was under God's authority was used for amazing things, but it was also that passion and that zeal that was not surrendered to God that he did things for chicks and money. Right? See, I, I've come to terms with this, and it's taken me a while that, I, I, listen, I, I, I'm going to be the, the me I am. This is who I am. I've had people come to me before uh, in our journey since I've been a lead pastor for about six years and saying, hey, you know, Pastor Ben, uh, you know what you did there? That's not what a lead pastor does. I'm like, what does a lead pastor do? Well, my last lead pastor, they were really kind and meek and mild. Oh, well, go back to them because I ain't kind, meek, or mild. <laughs> you know? Now, I can show kindness, but that's just, I mean, I'm, I know, I'll give you a hug if you need it, all right? But I'm more of the guy that says, you're being dumb. Stop it. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Okay? Now, if you want kind, meek, and mild, that's why we have Brandon and Mel, all right? I'm smart. I staff for my weaknesses, all right? Good cop, back. I, what's wrong with you? And then Brandon and Mel come in and like, okay. Right? But that's who I am. Like, if, if there's sin, let's call it sin, right? If you're doing good, let's say you're doing good. If you're not doing good, I ain't going to lie to you and say you're blowing it. You know, yes, everyone, I've learned the sandwich, okay? Hey, great job at this. You suck at that. By the way, I love you. Right? I've learned some things, but listen to me. I, I just have to embrace who I am, okay? Because you don't want me putting on somebody else's armor. Because if I put on somebody else's armor, I'm going to be tripping all over myself. Are you with me? And you know what? The same goes for you, okay? Be who you are. Just embrace it. Just embrace it. Be honest with who you are and stop apologizing for it. I remember playing basketball. I, the worst thing I ever did was I got a church basketball team together. Stupid, stupid. So now I don't do that. I pick guys that are unsaved so I can just be me. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I remember the first time, and you know, the dude's at our church and he's going down the court and he just blows a layup. And I'm like, man, what's wrong with you? You were wide open, you blew that. And then after the after it literally happened, after the game, he went to Pastor Caleb and he's like, hey, I don't know if I can play with Pastor Ben. Because I don't know, he doesn't seem like a pastor on the basketball court, you know. <laughs> Dude, you blew a wide open layup. What do you want me to do? Pat you on the back? You'll get it next time. You know? No. Make the layup. We lost the game. What's wrong with you? Right? Thank you. Yeah. He hasn't played since. He's probably still bricking layups, but. Man, just embrace it. Be honest with who you are and stop apologizing for it. Listen to me. One of the most beautiful things about the body of Christ to me is autonomy. So you see, I think sometimes we have this concept. Now listen to me, the redeemed you, the, 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 the you that's saved by grace is a lot better than the one that's not. 
So hear what I'm saying, but sometimes I think that people carry that idea, oh, well, now I'm saved and I love Jesus, and so we start looking at people in the church, well, uh, maybe I need to be like that, and I need to act like that, I need to pray like that, I need to talk like that, I need to, I need to dress like that, and to me, that's an ugly church. You need to be you, okay? Dress like you, talk like you, be like the redeemed you. Are you with me? Listen, man, when Jesus Christ comes to your life, old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But that doesn't mean he removes your personality and gives you a totally different personality. He takes away sin and he gives you righteousness. Listen, if he had to take away your personality and give you a new one, that means he blew it from the get-go when he created you. But when he created you, he stepped back and said, Wow, you beautiful! He created you perfect. Sin is the intrusion. But some people, they get saved, and now they begin to change their personality. They begin to change, look, look like this, dress like this, talk like this. And that's not the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ is beautiful because everyone has their identity and their personality, yes, redeemed. And listen to me, you want it to be redeemed, okay? Listen, this, this idea of, of chicks and money followed David all the days of his life. Because look what happens in the story. He would, make no mistake, his motivation was money and women. You may have never seen, I've never seen it before. That was his motivation. But when it came time to get on the battlefield, you see a switch take place. He gets on the battlefield and reality sets in. He says, man, I can't do this without you. And so when he gets out there, he takes what he knows. He leaves the label of Saul behind. I'm not going to take his armor. I don't care that I have daddy issues. I don't care what my brothers are saying about me. I'm going to go on this battlefield with my staff and with my little slingshot and my rock. And I'm gonna, God, I need you because this is the dumbest plan ever. He says, look, I don't come at you with a sword and a spear. I come at you with the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in that moment, he realized, I need to surrender that. Because if the only reason I'm doing it is for money and women, I ain't going to win this thing. But if I allow myself to be redeemed and I come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, something powerful can happen. But we see this issue follow him all the days of his life. When it was not under, under the power of the Holy Spirit, man, it rose up. Not too far into his story, we see this actually happen. This, this issue of, uh, of money and women following him as he's supposed to be in battle. He's supposed to be out in war, but instead he stays back and he's walking around in his palace and, and he's looking at all of his kingdom and he looks down and he sees a woman named Bathsheba. And it comes back to haunt him. The idea, listen, he was who he was. When who he was was surrendered, powerful. When who he was was not surrendered, sin. But we just need to come to this. This is a great message. We just need to be honest with who we are and stop apologizing for it. Number two, we need to be the best us we can be. Be the best you you can be and stop apologizing for it. Because the reality is, I, I said it earlier, I can, I can barely be a good me, so being you, whew, I tried it, man. I tried being like my mentors. Now, don't even I learn from my mentors and I grow. But I'm gonna be the best me. And here's the reality. Look, look, if you don't, I'll be honest with you, if people don't like the me I am right now, as I grow in the grace of God, guess what you're gonna get? You're gonna get more me. It's true. Me connected with Jesus, yeah, it's him through me. Okay, but listen, look, all of the great strengths and gifts that I have and the way I lead and the way I preach and who I am, the more it comes under the grace of God, the more it becomes. Listen, make no mistake, when you connect with Christ, it's going to bring everything out. 
the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's kind of like marriage. As you know, people, how many times I sat with, with people that are, that are about ready to get married and we're doing premarital counseling? There should be like pre-premarital counseling. We could save people from a lot of heartache because by the time they get to premarital counseling, they're already married in their heart. Nothing you're going to do and say is going to talk them out of it. And so we just approach it like, hey, here's some things you probably need to be aware of. Good luck, you know. But no, without fail. So what are some things that, you know, that, well, there's, you know, I'll hear, especially women, they'll talk to us, me and my wife, and they'll be like, well, there's just these things that really bother me about him. I'm like, oh, talk to us. Like, so what's your hope with that? Well, I just really believe that when we get married, those things are going to change. Oh, to be young, dumb, and in love. <laughs> and so, so wrong. <laughs> no, marriage does not fix problems. Marriage magnifies them, Right? And I'll tell them straight up, hey, look, I just want you to know something. After 20 years of marriage and those things are still there, you're still going to be in love? Well, yeah, but they won't be. And I'm like, oh, honey, honey, you're going to have that plus some, okay? Right? But that's what's so great about love, right? Because love doesn't look at those things. Come on, love hopes all things, believes all things, right? Okay? But when you come to Jesus Christ, listen to me. Now, you're still going to have stuff. You're still going to have stuff good and bad. Surrender it. But guess what, ladies and gentlemen, if there's some things you don't like about when they come to Jesus, listen, he's not going to, I'm, I'm the same leader I, I would be if I wasn't redeemed. Just a little kinder. Right? Be the best you you can be and stop apologizing for it. David wrestled with his issues. When they were surrendered, man, it was powerful. Listen to me. Uh, Think about Jesus in the New Testament. Anybody getting anything out of this? We'll wrap it up in a minute. Think about Jesus in the New Testament. People had a hard time wrapping their mind around who he was. And because it wasn't the package of what they wanted, because they had placed labels and ideas on what the Savior should look like, they had a hard time receiving him. And because they had a hard time receiving him, many of them did not walk in the fullness of grace that was available to them. Are you with me? Man, when we place, it's not just about removing the labels and ideas that are on us. We need to stop placing labels and ideas on others and embrace who they are, right? Amen. Lastly, number three, be honest with your gift and start using it and stop apologizing for it. Be honest with your gift. Start using it. Stop apologizing for it. I think one of David's gifts was his passion and his zeal. Listen, you got to know the difference between a gift and a talent, though. Okay? A gift is simply something that's given to you. You had nothing to do with it. It was placed in your hand. A talent is something that you work at to improve and to grow. The worship team, they are gifted to lead worship. They're talented on their instrument talent so they so they work on their talent to play the guitar better play play the piano piano better but the gift of worship is on them you with me David recognized what his gift was hey Saul thanks for the armor thanks for that but you know what I can't walk in your gift I, I tried it and you know what it's really ugly I, I, I'd be tripping all over myself and so I'm going to thank you for, for that, but that's not my gift. My gift is this little staff right here and this thing, and so I'm just going to run forward and I'm going to use that. 
how great he would have looked on the battlefield with that armor and that sword and how majestic he. He said, no, no, forget that. I'm going to take the gift that I have and I'm going to use it for the kingdom of God. Amen. I'm going to take the gift. Listen to me, man. Nothing pleases the father more than when he sees his children using the gifts he gave them. Love it. Absolutely love that. I mean, Christmas is such a great time of the year. But when you're a dad of little kids, sometimes it's discouraging. Because you go out and you find the most beautiful gift and you search for it and you fight other parents to get the last one. My kid's gonna love me, right? And you wrap it up and they unwrap it and they pull it out of the box and they play with the box. As a dad, you're like, I could have went to Home Depot, spent a buck, right? <laughs> I'll never forget my oldest, she turned 12, and she had been asking for a phone because some of her friends had phones. And, uh, and so my wife and I talked, and we said, when she turns 12, we'll get her her first phone, plus she's, you know, starting dance and all this stuff, and so it'd be nice to be able to have her get in contact with us, and so, so we got her a phone. We told her we're going to get her a phone, and, and so after we told her that, it was like every hour, like, Dad, when do I get my phone? Dad, when do I get my phone? Oh, we're going to get it for you, honey. Three days in, Dad, when am I get my phone? I'm so excited to get a phone. A week goes by, Dad, you said, I know, baby, we're going to. About 10 days later, we get her a phone, we give it to her, and she's like, oh, is it ready to go, Dad? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, okay, can I, can I, get, can I get some numbers from some friends? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And I said, why do you want them? She goes, because I just want to text all my friends and tell them that my dad got me a phone. I was like, here's two phones. <laughs> right? And nothing pleased my heart more than seeing my daughter there with the gift that I had given her, texting her friends and, and telling them, look what, look what my dad gave me. And, and she got a cute little case for it. And look, look, I got it, my first phone. Listen to me. I believe nothing pleases God more than when he looks down at you and he looks down at me and he sees us as his children utilizing our gifts for his kingdom. I believe he looks just like I did when he looks down. He says, wow, I just look, here's another one. Because he loves watching his children use the gifts that he's given them. And I believe with all my heart, ladies and gentlemen, that there are some of you that need to detox from some labels and some ideas that have been placed on you. Would you just embrace who you are and stop apologizing for it? If we would just start being the best you we could be and stop apologizing for it, and by all means, use the grace gift that has been given to you. Come on to please the heart of the Father. God. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.